Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two one hundred in the second inning. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. And welcome to Off The Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you all very much for joining us once again. My name is Robbie Cox and I am your host. As I introduce to you my new co-host for the podcast for this season, he is the former world champion, world record holder, Australian swimming legend and swimming commentator, superstar, Mr. Bobby Hurley. Bobby, how are you going, mate? Yeah, very good, Robbie. Um, looking forward to having a bit more of a regular chat with you to discuss not only all things and um, I guess relevant topics in in swimming and high level swimming, but obviously focusing on how good the Australian team's going. Uh, not only this year at the World Champs, but with all the junior meets and of course the the big run into uh, Paris next year with Doha uh, Olympic trials, of course, and then then the big one next July. Yeah, it's exciting. And, you know, for the listeners who are listening to this, um, you know, we are shaking things up a little bit now that Off The Blocks is is officially back up and running. And, and this time around, Off The Blocks regular. Everyone already knows, Bobby, that you've been on Off The Blocks swimming podcast before many times. But you'll be joining us each week to discuss current swimming topics and news, current events. Um, so we can try and stay on top of all of these things as we move closer to Paris 2024. Um, Bobby, I'm excited, mate. It's going to be a fun ride because with me and you, who knows what we're going to end up chatting about? I mean, we've got a bit of a we've got a bit of a heading, but you know, you just never know with you and I. Yeah, that's it. Well, you said it's the the new season of off the blocks. It's you could call it the new blocks because actually in Fukuoka at the training pool, they're well, they're not testing a new block. There is a new actual swimming block that's going to be coming out. I believe for Doha next year, I can't imagine it could get approval for the Olympics, um, but definitely post-2024, there's a new block. So yep. the new block, it was it was red. So the grip is red. It's larger in um, surface area compared to the normal blocks with a much larger kicker at the back as well. So the kicker is probably an extra, probably 30% bigger than the current kickers. Okay. Um, and then there's handles on the front of the block. So the handles like... Um, like you'd see in uh, college programs in the US. So uh, I guess horizontal handles on either side. So mm. you can grip on that sort of in a neutral grip, um, which I think advantages everybody in the US because they're used to diving off those blocks in college, whereas basically no other pool in the world has that. Mm. And then the backstroke wedge actually attaches to the bottom of the block. So you pull that, that goes into the water. Yep. And then it retract. I don't think it's retractable, but it can lift back up into the block. So the, the backstroke wedge isn't a totally another separate device that needs to be taken on and off by timekeepers and officials all the time. So it should cut out um, a little bit of mucking around. So, uh, yeah, a new block on the – a new off the blocks mm-hmm. and a new block coming in 2024. Look at you go. Just coming in firing on all cylinders. <laughs> 
You knew you were going to do that too. I could see the grin on your face. You were cheeky like that. You knew you were coming in hot. Um, what, what's the thought process behind these new blocks though? Like is it, is it a you know, bigger surface area so you can play around with your feet positioning and is it, is it, do you get me, you know, is there, what, what's, what's the kicker? Has it got a spring on it? Like what, what are we doing here? What, what, what's the thought process with the new blocks? Well, actually I, I forgot probably the, 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 the newest feature is there's a strip of lights on the front of the block. So the light will light up when, when the buzzer goes, when the gun yeah. goes. So I guess from an inclusive point of view, especially when you're looking at um, uh, visually impaired athletes or, or deaf athletes, Sorry, not vision, uh, hearing impaired and um, and deaf athletes, then then it's definitely a really inclusive um, device for that. Um, and with the light, I think that just, I think it looks cool. You know, it adds, it spices up the sport a little bit more. Um, you know, there's probably a, a, a financial incentive there to, to have new blocks coming out. Um, so it's, it's something different. I think, like, it's funny watching when sometimes you go back and see videos on Instagram of Rome 2009 and, and other things like, like in Rome, there wasn't even a kicker on the blocks. You know, everybody swam so quick back then with no kicker on the back of the blocks. I mean, Paul Biederman's world records, he did a two-foot grab start at the front. Like people <laughs> are wearing, racing in latex caps. Like it doesn't seem that long ago because those times are so fast, but the yeah. technology, you know, not the suit technology, but the other technology was was very outdated. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just it's just progressing. Times are progressing. Yeah, well, I, I guess we'll we'll soon see with everything, right? Like with all sort of um, advances in technology, there's pros, there's cons. There's going to be times that it works. There's going to be times that it doesn't work. So it'll be interesting to see, as you said, perhaps in Doha we might see the new technology, the new blocks. So that'll be exciting to see. And as I said, Bobby's coming in hot with some some uh, new information there. Now on today's <laughs> agenda. Uh, we're going to talk about the recent Youth Com Games and how the young Aussie athletes went in Trinidad and Tobago. Talk about the Aussie versus USA rivalry, some of the comments that may or may not come back to haunt the Aussies, and in particular, Kate Campbell in 11 months' time. Uh, Cam McAvoy's phenomenal 21.0 and, and in Fukuoka, his training program at the moment, uh, what he's doing and how that looks heading into Paris. Can he go faster? But, mate, I want to kick off... Um, just with a little bit of a nod to to the Matildas and the success of the Women's World Cup here in Australia at the moment. Um, as we speak, this is coming out on Friday, but as we speak here on Wednesday, the Aussies are playing England tonight, which is it's a sellout. Um, people are into trying to get up on the stadium on the on the roof, and uh, it's breaking all sorts of records on TV, mate. Which is exciting to see because my my thought process on this has always been, you know, I'm excited to get behind women's sports in, in any capacity, but, it, you know, it's still got to be compelling TV. It's got to make me want to watch it. And these girls are doing that. It's not people getting behind it because it's women's sports. This is good soccer. Not that I'm a great soccer aficionado, but it is exciting to see. It's exciting to watch. They're getting behind it. They're breaking, um, yeah, all sorts of records on TV. Um, you know, you're over in Singapore, but no doubt you, you're hearing this. What, what's your thoughts? Yeah, well, I, I'm actually at, well, I work at Tanglin Trust School, which is a, a British school. So essentially three quarters of the staff here are, are English. So I'm heading out to the Irish pub tonight to watch the game with, <laughs> with all these guys and I'm going to wear my Socceroos jersey and, and uh, hopefully we can, we can get up. But I think, you know, the fact that the World Cup's in Australia and the, the Matildas are going so good, it's just, 
promotion for for women's sport right now like it's it's already changed so much in the last probably five years you know with uh with the, all the other sports having professional leagues um you know how good are the women's uh the women's swim team going and, and mm. they've they've been going so well over the last couple of olympic periods and um you know i i thought when when my daughter was born who's four and you know we've got we've both got daughters that are the same age like by the time they're 15 or or older than that like the opportunities and the professionalism of women's sport is going to be at a whole nother level because you think about all the 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 viewers and the young girls that the matildas are inspiring they're all going to be 15 21 day that now want to play not only just soccer but but professional sport now becomes a legitimate career whereas maybe 15 years ago it wasn't a legitimate career so um it's super inspiring and um yeah hopefully the the tillies get up tonight yeah um, i'm all about it and i'm excited to watch tonight and yeah you're absolutely right even women's rugby league here in australia is starting to pick up in terms of viewership and extra teams and it's an exciting time um you know even for my daughter i mean she's not really that interested in much sports to be honest with you but um in terms of the the opportunities that are available which may or may not have been there years ago um it's exciting for women's sports so um Good luck to the Aussie women's soccer team, the Matildas, tonight. And um, as I said, by the time this comes out, it could have come down to a penalty shootout again. We'll soon find out. But good luck to them all. Now, I also wanted to talk about, and I touched on it earlier, uh, the amazing success of our Aussie juniors made at the Youth Com Games in Trinidad and Tobago a week or so ago. Tremendous results. And I'll just quickly run through a little bit of it just for the listeners who may or may not have seen some of these on, on social media. Um, 12 athletes went over, finished with seven gold, six silver, seven bronze medals in total, which is uh, outstanding. Some of the standouts, um, Michaela Bird from Bond University finished two gold, two bronze. Um, Zoe Amundsen from Iona up in Brisbane finished with a gold and two silvers. Uh, another very impressive swimmer, Inez Miller from WA St. Hilda's. Um, she wrapped up, I think, two gold, a silver and a bronze. She's a phenomenal talent coming through. Other special mentions, Lily McPherson from Manly, uh, silver in the 100 fly. Jai Banyan from St. Peter's. He was a massive part of the relay success. Um, every relay you saw that the Aussies were getting medals, he was front and centre in there, and he also swam very well individually. Um, my question to you, I guess, off the back of all of that is, how important is it for these young athletes? And we sort of missed it a little bit through COVID, which I feel for some of the swimmers. I mean, I remember having Flynn Southam on and every time he was getting ready to be on a junior team, it was cancelled and it was cancelled and they kind of missed that experience. How important is it for these young athletes that are coming through? We've seen the likes of Ariane, Shana Jack go to YouthCom Games. How important is it for them to get this experience, being out of their comfort zone? By all accounts, it was very hot and humid over there and muggy and buses didn't turn up on time and certain th- it was all happening. Um, yeah, how important is it for them to sort of have those experiences? Yeah, that's super important for, you know, especially these more well-developed swimming nations. And, and there's so many um, international opportunities to race at a high level now. Um, you know, Commonwealth Youth Games, there's uh, Junior Worlds, which is uh, in about two weeks over in yeah. Israel. Yep. Um, you know, over here, there's uh, there's a Junior Asian Games that, that happened recently as well. And, um, of course, there's Youth Olympics that, that happens every every couple of years too. And as you said, they, they don't 
put them in Australia or the US or these mainstream countries. It's, you know, last week was in Trinidad and Tobago. And you're putting athletes outside of their comfort zone. Um, you're in a team environment, so it's not a swim team. You're a part of the actual Commonwealth Games team. So you see the photos of these athletes with their, their medals. They've got the full team uniform. Um, and you're staying in a village-type atmosphere, catching buses. So that's what you do need to prepare for when you go out to these um, Com Games and Olympic Games experiences, that it's not just the swim team. Um, you're a, a part of the bigger Australian team. So um, it's great preparation for them. And, you know, for my own um, my own experiences, I did junior Pampax as an 18-year-old. So that was my first trip overseas um, in 2007. Uh, and that was awesome. Like that was still probably I talked to a lot of my mates on that team who we are still mates. Um, and that's probably the funnest trip that we ever did. You know, we're in a five star hotel in Maui racing in an outdoor pool. Um, we, you know, we beat the US then. So we had a better junior team than the US. And, um, you know, a lot of good, a lot of swimmers went on to perform well in their careers on that team. You know, only Seabom, Belinda Hocking, um, myself, and there's probably seven or eight Australian representatives that that were on that team. So I think now we're seeing, I've definitely seen like Australian age championships has gone up um, to a really high level. Like that's a that's that's a high performance swim meet for teenagers. Um, uh, I've coached at the last two age nationals, um, but I hadn't, I'd, I guess I didn't go to age nationals between 2007 and 2022. And I was very surprised what I saw last year, um, how the coaches are talking to their athletes and the massage therapists and dry land coaches on deck and the video analysis. Um, like that's that's what you get all the way to when you, you start making senior teams or or in contention for senior teams. So um, the, the teenage swimmers are definitely getting faster and more mature and have a better understanding about what it takes to perform at the highest level. They're getting that earlier and that's showing in their junior results. It doesn't always convert, but now that it's proven that in Australia, there's a, a higher level of conversion from these really strong 15, 16, 17 year olds onto the Australian team. Whereas I think maybe generations ago, you'd get that superstar standout kid that didn't convert. Now, there's a there's a higher rate of uh, a higher percentage of conversion from a youth Commonwealth Games champion or a junior world champion that then goes on to not only make the Australian team but but start winning medals at the biggest levels. Yeah, no, you're absolutely you're spot on, and a lot of the athletes that I'd had on as juniors in the past, so you Molly O'Callaghan's and uh, Flynn Southams and Sam Shorts and um, Jenna Foresters and a lot of these swimmers that came through, they had swam at the Junior Worlds, I think in 2019, if I'm not mistaken, um, and and had phenomenal success there and, and great experiences. And as I said, I, I think, unfortunately, COVID kind of knocked it out for a couple of years and they'd sort of, uh, a lot of athletes sort of missed those opportunities. But fortunately, uh, for these guys, uh, they're back now, these opportunities. And as you said, you know, this is Youth Com Games, there's Youth Olympics, there's Junior Pan Packs, Junior Worlds. Um, I, I know as well a lot of, I think the Queensland team sent um, some swimmers over to uh, England. Did they send it? Where, where yeah. They, yeah. For, uh, Everywhere. Over there. Um, Bit of money so, in Queensland at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Gina Ryan. funding there. Gina's, <laughs> Gina, honey, Gina's jumped in. Um yeah, no, well, I mean, and it's good to see because, as you said, it's giving them that um, experience and access. And even for the coaches, I mean, um, 
one of my good friends and obviously um, friend of the podcast, Cam um, Gledhill is the head coach at Warringah. Um, you know, got to go on this team as well. And and for the coaches, for their first sort of junior teams or Australian teams, it's experience for them that they've probably never been at. And, you know, we can read all the books we like, but until you're there and you're under the pump and you're experiencing these things, that's important too from a coaching perspective, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, it's a commitment for the coach as well to travel and be away from family and um, be away from your job and your employer. There's a lot of discussions that go around that. Um, and also for the athletes, like you, you may go away one day and you don't have your your club coach, your home coach, um, maybe somebody that you swam for 10 years and you're, you're, you're in the same training group as maybe a competitor that you, you normally race domestically. So there's all those things that, you know, the earlier athletes get exposed to that, the better it is. And I think the other addition that's really pushed um, – junior swimming at the international level a lot higher is is has been i guess the somewhat recent introduction of the junior world records um so even at worlds and everything you know you're seeing that graphic come up for world junior record for summer mm. mcintosh and um you know I, I think that along with world juniors which i think the first one was maybe 2013 so you're looking at maybe five or six editions across 10 years um you know europe and the US, everybody, we send our best teams there. Like Flynn Southams, who's on, been on the national team for two years, is going to World Juniors next month. Yeah, like he's a forty-seven-seven. How does <laughs> how does he not win the hundred freestyle there? But that's good for him to go race internationally and and hopefully experience victory and and winning individually, which which then converts. And we saw that with with Matt Corden a few years ago, and guys like Tommy Neal, and of course Molly and Kaylee and everybody. Um, so there's, you know, a lot of those big names, Milak went through that. So some of those world junior records are just incredible. Um, and if you, if you make these teams and you're in finals and on podiums, there's, there's just a, I don't know what the percentage is. Maybe somebody out there knows, but it's a very high, high percentage chance that you'll win medals at the senior level as well. Yeah, it's it's great experience. It's great exposure, as you said. And congrats to to all the team, to the coaches, as I said, including uh, Cam. Uh, I know Ellie Cole was over there as well as an ambassador or a mentor for the Australian uh, youth athletes. So you know, congratulations to to all the athletes. Well done. Can't wait to see what's next. Um, I mentioned some of those names there. We'll be looking to try and get some of them on the podcast over the next year to try and just uh, pick their brain and, and see how they're going and just get to know their journey because uh, no doubt they're, you know, they're on the radar uh, for the next three to five years as well. Now, mate, let's get on to a hot topic. Last week, um, you know, obviously the Australian-US rivalry has always been around. You know, you go back to 2000 with the smash and the guitars and it's it's always been around. But it, I guess, again, it sort of largely came to a head with the medal tally and team of the meet at the world champs and and then we had kate campbell and in an interview on the today show adding a bit of fuel to the fire saying you know it was much sweeter to beat america and how great it was to not hear the national anthem on the first night and uh then obviously kaylee McEwen came out and she's on today's podcast and you know she said you know well we don't all feel that way um it was tongue-in-cheek in how Kate was saying stuff, but the whole team, that's not our whole vibe, you know. She gets along really well with some of the uh, US team. Um, do we like this? Do we not like this? I know from obviously a, a media perspective and, you know, building it up, we like it. But um, 
There's also that part of me that thinks I don't want to wake the sleeping giant of Team USA because they did probably not perform to their level of expectations and they have a habit of doing this a year out from the Olympics. So do we want to poke the bear? Well, it's too late now. It's <laughs> well and truly been poked. I don't think it was a, a choice for anybody. It, mm. uh, uh, um, I mean, well, we'll, we'll, we'll start off. The Australian team obviously won the gold medal tally. They didn't yes. win the meet. They will never win the World Championship swim meet with the current rules in terms of point scoring between 1 and 16. We'll never beat the US on depth, right? We're beating them on star power and gold medals, and everybody knew that. The fact that that NBC graphic came up was, to me, hilarious because everybody on pool deck knows who the best swim team is, right? And that's what matters, the respect from your peers. It doesn't matter about the formalities of it. Like, we knew after day three that Australia wasn't going to lose that gold medal tally. Yeah. Um, and the US knew that as well. So so it's pretty uh, – I, I thought it was funny. I thought it was comical. Try and um, – sorry. No, you're good. That the, US, that the US would try and flip that. Yeah. Um, so it is what it is. Um, I don't think there's any bad blood personally between the team. Um between the two teams, I wish I wish there was. It would be it'd be funnier <laughs> if Kyle really hated Kayla Dressel and yeah. and and uh, Ariane really hated Katie Ledecky, but but they don't. They're, there's there's a lot of respect. Um, they're all great athletes in their own right, so um, that's all good. But of course, there's a rivalry. There's only a rivalry when Australia's going good. All right, because we've had <laughs> the London Olympics where we got one gold medal in a relay. That's yeah. not a rivalry anymore. We probably mm -hmm. finished fourth or fifth on the table, the medal table at that point of yeah. the swim meet. So it's a rivalry when we're going good, and right now we're going good. All the, a lot of the good swimmers are coming out of the same stable. So there's a lot of priority to get to get that club firing next year, and they're all proven as well. It's not like they're all rookies. They they mm -hmm. won uh, in Tokyo too. So. I think it's gonna. It's definitely adding fuel to the fire. The, the one thing that that the US are good at and what they showed, they won both medley relays on that last night, right? Um, they, you know, they beat Australia in both. Where where they were vulnerable in both of those, so they finished the meet off good. They're very good on those medley relays, and you know, chatting with Cam McAvoy after the swim meet, and we don't know the level that Dressel will come back at. He's back. He's got a baby on the way. He's very philosophical about different things. But what will fire him up is that the American team need him now. Mm. They need him. They need a leader of that team. For, for as long as I can remember, the, U, the U.S. team had, they owned, they essentially owned the best swimmer in the world, right? Peak Ledecky, Phelps, Lochte at different world championships, Dressel. When, when Phelps retired, Dressel came out the next year and was dominating. Like, it's somewhat unfair. The last time they didn't own the best room in the world was when Thorpe was at the peak of his powers and we won in Fukuoka 2001. So the the other week at the World Champs, they, they don't have the best room in the world. They probably don't have in the males. They probably don't own – there's probably no American male in the top five male swimmers of that meet. Mm. And you could say the same about the females as well. So that'll change. They're going to win far more than seven gold medals in Paris next year. We know that. But 
And Australia probably won't win 13 because there's two non-Olympic events that we won. So if Australia can win eight, nine or 10, that would be fantastic. So it's going to be tight. But, you know, when Kate said that after the meet, like my jaw was on the floor. Um, <laughs> and we understand in Australia that this was – she she was joking around, right? She was yeah. playing it up for TV, um, which Kate – is very good at now, but she's not normally that sort of personality. Mm. So she was she was playing it up, but she had to know that this is this is live TV, this is national TV. There's like, of course, the Americans were going to see that. Of course, they were going to grab that clip and take it out of context. And and you know, she went a little bit far with some of that stuff about wanting to punch him in the face mm. and mm, that the Star Spangled that, Banner, yeah, yeah, yeah. the cowbell. Like yeah. you know, there's going to be. T- a thousand cowbells in the, the the team area in the stadium next year. Like yeah. you're well and truly, as you said, just poking the bear. And the other thing is like, with all due respect to Kate, like she's not on the team right now. She wasn't there and she's not, you know, winning individual titles, breaking world records. Like she's really mm-hmm. fighting hard for a place on the team. Um, it'd be, you know, we've heard some, some pretty big statements in the past from Maggie and these other guys that, that are number one in the world, right? They're, you know, yeah. if uh, if Molly or Arnie or, you know, somebody said something, you know, to, to boost their ego, you could go, well, okay, they just broke the world record. Like they somewhat have a right to say that. But for Kate to come out this year and this day and age and say that and then for Kaylee to basically shut it down and not support it, like I think that's a, that's a pretty developing storyline. Like Kate and Kaylee, They've been on teams together the past five years, but there's about a 10-year age gap there. Yeah. You know, like there's a there's a significant um, gap in terms of maturity and who your friends within the team and who your coaches are and how that all works. Um, and, you know, for Kaylee to, to shut that down probably boosts her up more as a as a vocal leader of the Australian team because you don't hear comments like that from, from Ariane. You don't hear that from Emma. No. Um, they're not they're not vocal or um, I guess sort of have that leadership presence um, from, from what I can see from the outside, like Kyle does and Kaylee does and, and a few other people um, really walk around with their chest out and, and are not afraid to, to back down. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, will that cause some sort of anguish between the women on the team? I don't know. Um, you know, Kate and, and her sister Bronte, of course, it, they've got a, they're going to have to work damn hard to get themselves back on that Olympic team next year, which is what they want to do and what they're no doubt capable of doing. But um, that team, especially that women's, basically both freestyle relay teams, it's not based around star power. It's it's depth, you know. Yeah. Two years ago, it was Emma's turn. Before that, it was Kate's turn. Now we've got Molly. Next year, it could be Shayna. We've seen those names drop in and out for the past 10 years and they keep winning and they keep getting faster. So it's just it's it's gonna be good. It it I, I like this sort of stuff. It just adds something <laughs> in um away from the actual swimming. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you know, I, I wish Kaylee and Regan Smith didn't like each other. It'd be it'd be a lot more fun to watch, but but they do and, and there's a lot of respect there, and they're both great athletes. But you know, the, the US Australia rivalry, potentially the rivalry, um not rivalry, but some sort of uh, anguish between um, a lot of a lot of really fast Aussie women fighting for a place on the four by one free relay team. Like that's that's gonna that's gonna be a building storyline, and that's gonna come to a head 
before the trials next year, I tell you. Yeah. I, I think when I heard it, um, Bobby, I, I just kind of more uh, went from the perspective of, you know, I'm, I'm an NRL fan. You know, a lot of the times you, you don't want to sort of give your opposition ammunition to put up on the notice board to train harder for that. You know, you don't want to – there's already enough sort of fuel in the fire. You don't need to add more. And I, I guess for me when I heard that, I thought, well, do you need to be adding more fuel to that fire? I would already be a bit wary of how they're going to be performing next year anyway. Uh, you probably don't need to be throwing any more but on she, top of it. She wasn't there. She wasn't a part of yeah. that team that beat them. Yeah. You, it, it's like me so and she's you adding pressure onto something she might not even be a part of. She's putting pressure onto her teammates or, yeah. or somewhat speaking on behalf of them when she, you know, and again, Kate's been there for 15 years, amazing athlete, but she wasn't on that team or yeah. a part of that team. So that's where it probably crossed a few people on, on the Australian team. Um, if she was there, if somebody on the team said it, then 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 maybe. Mm. But uh, that that was the thing that raised a lot of eyebrows, I think, from an Australian perspective. Um, and what the US probably going to take that out of context and and just look at her and think that she was there or or she's speaking on behalf of the team. So yeah, it's it's you know, a lot of fuel on the fire. We know you know petrol's expensive right now, so uh, <laughs> a lot a lot was just uh, was spent on that. Yeah, Bobby with the zingers. Petrol is expensive, mate. You're not wrong. Um, we'll move on from that and, yeah, watch this space. I, I don't think you're going to hear much about it from now. I, I would dare say that um, Kate's not going to mention that again. I'm assuming somebody might have said something to her after that. And, I, I yeah, I doubt you're going to hear anything more. Not that she meant it in a way. I, I dare say she didn't mean it to come across that way or to add anything. She probably didn't realise that ramification or thought process down the line as i said she might not be there in 11 months and you know technically speaking that bell might be pretty loud all week and <laughs> you know, i just you know i don't want it to be but you know i'm just saying there's potential so anyway watch this space we'll see how we go uh, the last one i want to wrap up on um with my little chat with you this week is cam mcavoy's 21 oh amazing effort dominating effort i think i saw somewhere that it was one of the most uh, dominating uh, races um, for a while in terms of 50s i think yeah you know, biggest biggest margin. margin of victory in the men's 53 at world in world championship history yeah and it, i mean it was impressive um there's been a lot of talk about his training leading up to these champs volume intensity different philosophies etc um i mean we know cam's a pretty a super smart switched on guy anyway right he's he's always been uh, that way. So there's no doubt he's got a major input in terms of his training methods, programming, he's working uh, with, you know, his his program. What what do you know about his program? How impressed were you with the 21-0? Yeah, I was uh, blown away by it, to be honest. Um, you know, Cam's got a Got a pretty great history at the at the top level. He's is again. He's been around since 2012, since an 18 year old. So to see him um, knowing more about the backstory, but in that week in Fukuoka, not even make the semis. Like totally screwed up his 50 fly race and the finish, missed the semis, and then had to wait six days before he got to race again. So there's always a bit of a nerve wracking period. Oh, is he? You know, has he got the wobbles at, at internationally again? Um, can he back up the 21-2 from trials? Well, he goes faster from heat to semi to final, 21-3, 21-2, 21-0. Um, you know, 
picks himself up from a from a somewhat disappointing swim earlier in the week, delivered in lane four in a 53 final with the biggest margin of victory. And, you know, did a point two PV in a world championship final. Like that is, especially in a 50, that's extremely difficult to do. So, um, you know, 21-2 in Melbourne blew everybody away. Now he's a 21-0 swimmer. Mm. So it's it's really encouraging. I mean, like he, he said, he, he just had a, had a podcast with with Brett Hawke, which um, which was very informative to the way he thinks and the way he can articulate things. Um, and he's only been back in the water for twelve months after having a full twelve months out of the water in Tokyo uh, since Tokyo. So what it does on on a reduced volume, on a dramatically reduced volume training schedule, and the addition of resistance, uh, a lot more resistance work in the water, parachutes, buckets, um, destro machines which I just ordered a couple more over here in Singapore, actually. Um, that I want is, your budget. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like every college program in the US um, has like 20, 20 bu- uh, like resistance buckets um, on the side of the pool. Like I remember going out to University of Arizona back in 20, oh, sorry, 2009, and there were just like 40 buckets lined up on the pool. And that was when, you know, they had, you know, Roland Schumann and, uh um Neithling and that whole South African team sprint team training there and um we'd never seen anything like that before that was 15 years ago like I think in Australia there's very minimal resistance work still going on and still programmed into into a, a training cycle um properly and efficiently as well mm. um and Cam's just taken that to another level to the point where he's probably doing I don't know 70 or 80 percent of his total swimming volume either under resistance load or at race pace being at 21.5 pace or better so when you think about that in terms of what your actual weekly monthly volumes look like that's pretty incredible um so you know it's his story to tell and his story to share and you know we spoke 12 months ago about a little bit he was sort of picking my brain about what to do and, and where to go and he had he had a whole thesis about how he wants to train and how he wants to approach swimming. Um, but he needed a platform to do that, needed a coach and a pool and a, and a program. And when you've got a really intuitive guy like Cam that's meticulous about their planning and knows exactly what they want to do, um, you just got you just got to keep him on track, right? You just got to keep him moving forward and not get sidetracked but by different ideas and different tangents and – when things are getting hard, not to not to revert back to to different ideas. So, my recommendation to him was to just have one conversation with Tim Lane, just yeah. chat with him once, and make your own decision about of, upon that. So, Tim's was the last coach I had in my swimming career um, down at Warringah back in 2016 and 2017, and and since then he's developed into a really close friend, and you know he sort of has a lot of experience to draw on, but probably more importantly taught me like you got to be a good bloke before you can be a good coach um and he's he's got that in spades so to have somebody that can provide as high performance training environment as you need but just keep it really grounded and realistic and and down to earth is exactly what cam needed so um i'm just really stoked that that relationships worked out and i get to see two really close mates um do good things on the world scene together and um 
from what I think Cam's going to really just focus on the 50 over the next 12 months. That's, that's the, that's a smart idea. And then he'll see if his uh, program can, can extend out to the hundred meters or so. But um, Cam's maybe what people don't understand, like Cam's thinking about this really long term. He's not thinking Paris. He's thinking five, six, seven, eight years. Like he's mm. wants to well and truly balance this and, and swim until his thirties and just, just, swim it his way and get that across and 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 if that does succeed it has already succeeded if it continues to succeed then i think um then i think people need to look into that a little bit more and um and his story will be a pretty popular one to share well that's that's exciting and interesting in terms of what you just said long term i mean um no doubt 2024 still 11 uh, months away that's you know we can say it's around the corner but it's still a long time in terms of your structure and systems and keeping everything together and staying focused but in terms of long term that's that's exciting i mean i guess the question off the back of all of this bobby is and and no doubt in his planning it will be can he go faster so already you know he's australian record holder He's well and truly the fastest person in the world at the moment in terms of, as we said, he, he dominated that 50. Uh, we know we're not sure about Caleb Dressel and how he's coming back and, you know, what shape he comes back in and what he's going to be able to put down. But I guess that's the most exciting part of this, right? Like, can Cam go faster? No doubt that's what they're planning and trying to put together. Yeah. And can anyone go with him? Like, are we about to push the boundaries and – push the, the the radar of what's possible for the boys in the 50 metre free. Yeah, for sure. I think that's that's the way you got to think. And there's no goal time. There's no target time. It's we've done, say, nine to 12 months of this, not we, they've done nine to 12 months of this preparation and it's get better, get stronger, get better at what you're doing, um, do more load of that. Um, so it's a new training program and a new training theory. And you would assume that, from year to year that you're going to find ways to improve. So um, I think if he stays injury-free and can execute psychologically at that level, which is, which is just recently done, um, then, then there is no limit to it. Um, we've got to remember that Cam's the 21-4 from, from many years ago on a different training schedule. So you're getting, you're getting an elite level of talent here. We're not talking a 22-5 guys done a one-and-a-half-second PV. Like he was, yeah. he was very, very, very good. Um, but a lot of you know a lot of water's been under the bridge since since he went twenty one four. So to do that again, um, I, I, I think to see somebody like that, he's approaching the fifty like a one rep max in the gym. Mm. All right. So if you speak to anyone who regularly goes to the gym or bodybuilders or whatnot, if let's just say you did a you targeted a two hundred and forty kilo deadlift and you hit that, that's not your limit you know you're going to get stronger as you get older yeah so if what they're doing if if that can all come to fruition and you get stronger and you can handle more intensity at more load um then 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 there's no limit to that so um but you know time will tell it's as it's as good as it could get at the moment i think um for them but but yeah it's a big 12 months coming up but they um they didn't Probably by earlier this year, they, there was not an expectation to even be in Fukuoka. Mm. So Fukuoka was definitely a bonus and it's definitely changed things. But um, I guess from 
from late last year that the build-up was to Paris. It wasn't to World Champs. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, it's exciting. And, you know, obviously if, if that consistency can remain and we, we do see some phenomenal performances in Paris as well, it, it very well may change the way a lot of people, not just here in Australia, but in general think about their training in terms of age limits and, and not there not being age limits as well and um, you're not targeting just these, you know, 16, 17, 18-year-olds still looking at these 23, 24, 25-year-olds who still have progression in them. I, I, I do find we probably do that a little bit too much at times. We sort of, even though we've, we feel like we've learnt and we've progressed from thinking if you haven't made it at 15, 16, you're not going to make it. Still sometimes the targeting in terms of the resources and stuff like that is given more to the juniors developing rather than still some of these older athletes who really aren't that old bobby are they like 22 23 24 they're still progressing as yeah. well and, and cam's well and truly showing and as you said he, he's he's one of the fastest hundred swimmers in australian history as well uh in world history um but he, so he's obviously got the runs on the board but I, I still think you know what they're doing here and and what we may be able to see over the next 11 months as well might well and truly start to really get people scratching their heads thinking Hang on a second. Could we be doing this a little bit differently? Yeah, certainly. Uh, I mean, you know, in, in Australia, there is somewhat of a, a theory that you know, if you if you're not on the Australian team by twenty one or twenty two, then then maybe you won't make it. But um, you know, that's that's not certainly correct. And I, I just think in in Cam's theory, like he's he's doing it for a fifty, so it's not like he's doing a four hundred free PB at twenty nine yeah. and yeah doing it on a quarter of the load that you used to do. So, um, you know, it's it's definitely event-specific. But there's there's more, you know, there's different ways to skin a cat. And the level of professionalism um, has definitely changed uh, more recently. And there's evidence of that. So older swimmers succeeding. If you take care of your body and you can recover and stay injury-free, you look at Nicholas Santos and Roland Schumann racing at that level in their mm. 40s, Anthony Irvin winning... Uh, Rio as a as a 35, 36 year old, you know, Phelps winning the 200 flyers. I think he was 31 in Rio. 200 fly at 31. Mm. But I mean, you, you know, you're talking about a, somebody yeah. at a pretty high <laughs> level, but he also did it for 16 years. Um, so yeah, it's it's well, and there's no limits. It's everything's definitely possible. Um, and I think one thing that resonated that that Cam said is like, and and I've seen it in my career. A lot of people leave the sport hating swimming. Uh, I never made it or I never did this and they, they hate it. They quit at 21, 22. I've wasted my whole life on this or I've wasted the last five years since high school. Never want to swim again. When you know that that's not true, that's just how they're verbalizing it at the time. That's just their, their emotional response to it. Um, and that really like pisses me off. It gets under my skin because swimming is such a big part of everyone's life and um, it's something that I was probably um, – pretty passionate and vocal about through my 20s that I, I like what I do you know I like mm. swimming I like training I like the lifestyle I like competing um so that's why I swam till I was 30 years old and then you know I've been straight into coaching and my life still revolves around swimming um so I think that you know and performance has a has a lot to do with that so hopefully what it can have is just that people can end on their terms and know that there is a different way to train or there is a different way to get success um, and, and there's no limits as to age or, or programs or what you need to do to, to get better. Yeah, 100%, mate. Now, my last question before we wrap up today's 
chat is, uh, will that training, will we see that training transfer over to hundreds as well? Will, is, will that time tell or do you think it's going to be very specific to 50 metre? Because the 50 and the 100 are very different events as well. So will it transfer over? As I said, Cam's one of the fastest 100 metre swimmers of, of all time. Uh, or is it very specific to 50, do you think? And we'll probably just see that sort of training stick to that. Uh, time will tell. Uh, time will tell. I think like with the way the world and the Olympic program is, the 100 is always before the 50. So you see Sarah Sochan drop the 100 individually where she's the world record holder. She breaks the world record holder, the world record in the 50. Yeah. Um, a lot of the best swimmers in the world, not – well, in years past, they weren't focusing on the 50 because it's not a relay event. They're doing the 200, you know, Hoogerman and Klim were doing the 200, then the 100, and then just scrap it out for a 50 and see what happens. Mm. People are taking the 50 a lot more serious now. Um, things would be different if, if you put the 50 on day one and two and you swam the 100 off the back of that, that could be interesting because you might see Ben Proud do 100. You might see Manadu and McAvoy and... and Sostrom and that swim the 100 um, again. Uh, I think that's been why the men's 400 irons gotten so quick is they moved it to day one of the World Championship program, yeah. same as the Olympics. The women, poor old women have got to do the 400 iron on the last day of competition. Like that's, that's really difficult to do. If they move the men's 1500 to day one, I guarantee you multiple guys will break 1430. You know, mm. like Sam Short and Hafnau, he had done the – Two four hundreds, two eight hundreds, and a fifteen hundred heat before they got to that fifteen hundred final on eight yeah. days of competition. Yeah, there's no same short. There's no reason. Same short went. Yeah, they were hurt. Yeah, let's shorten half. Now he went <laughs> three forty on day one and fourteen thirty one and fourteen thirty seven on day eight. Like mm. that is a marathon of a week. So the schedule's got got a lot to do with it. But um, you know, obviously, there's a higher aerobic load to the 100, of course, compared to the 50. But if you look at, you know, the 100 metres, let's just say, you know, 45 seconds or whatnot, 50 seconds, so that's equivalent to the um, to the 400 on track. You know, how do the 400-metre track runners train? Because mm. what, what Cam and Tim are looking at is how does a 200-metre um, track runner train? How much time are they spending on their aerobic work, you know? Yeah. Or is it, all f is it all force? Is it all load, strength and technique? Um, because that's the duration of, of our race. That's the duration of the sport. Um, but, but in saying that, you've got to do three of them as well. Heat semifinal, whereas I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but the athletics, they have like a full 24 hours in between or between quarters, semis and finals. Like that yeah, 100 it's not on the same day, I don't think. Yeah, that, that, that's spread out over three or four days. So, um, yeah, it's, it's different, but, um, you know, there's got to be a different way of thinking if, if people want to go to a different level. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's exciting. As I said, you know, it's, it's exciting to see where the sport's going to go. I like seeing progression. I like seeing innovation. I like seeing different things. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, as I said, how this goes over the next 11 months. And I dare say if we see a similar result, if not even better, we're going to start having a lot more conversations around uh, especially for elite older athletes, not so much our juniors coming through. They've still got to build and develop their capacities and, and develop their, their bases, but um, certainly for the older athletes. Mate, I think we've smashed it day one. We've <laughs> killed it. 
I'm calling yeah, this certainly. PB on day one, mate. PB. Good chat. <laughs> All right. Well, mate, you have a great uh, day over there. And so what's it like over there? It's raining and a bit cold here today. What's it like over there? Uh, it's it's always 30 degrees and super humid every day. It doesn't really change. It's just whether it's uh, whether there's storms or not storms. But, but um, yeah, it's definitely hot and humid. Never been in Singapore. I only been to Singapore Airport, which actually, really? by the way, is a great airport. I was a big fan oh, yeah. of the airport. But, no, yeah, best airport in the world. Yeah. Well, we'll world champs here in two visit. years. World champs here in two years. So hopefully, a lot of our Australians can can come over because it's a, it's a great city and and the worlds will be will be a really exciting festival here in twenty twenty five. Yeah, no, I'm excited, mate. The other thing I want to lobby for too, by the way, is is Bobby's live feed at the 2024 Paris Olympics. I'm lobbying for that. I don't know if you're, <laughs> if you're in there. I don't know what the coverage is like, but I want to get off the blocks over there as well. Um, I'm lobbying for it. I've just got to talk to the right people, but I'm manifesting this into the world. Yeah, well, I mean, um, I'll be in Australia next July unless unless I do get some sort of work for, for Paris, but there's nothing... Um, Nothing been offered at this point, but it's going to um, happen. It's going to happen. I'll be in Sydney next July, so if you're around, we'll do something. It's going to happen. We're going to manifest this. We're going to get over there. Wee oui, wee, oui, bonjour, baguette, puff puff. Yeah, anyway, we're going to. It's going to happen. All right, I'm going to stop boring the the listeners. Have a great weekend, guys. We'll see you all next week. Thank you, Bobby. Cool. Thanks, Robbie. See ya. Today's episode of Off the Block Swimming Podcast is proudly brought to you by our great sponsors, DMC Fins. DMC fins are the best training fins in the business. Just have a look around in everybody's kit bag on pool deck, and there's a pair of DMC fins in there. Swimmers, surfers, they're all using DMC fins as their choice of aquatic propulsion. Even superstar Cody Simpson is using DMC fins to help with his training towards Paris 2024. Head over to dmcfins.com.au right now for all the latest deals and discounts on fins as well as hand paddles and other training aids and use the promotion code OFFTHEBLOCKS for a 10% discount at checkout.